We're going to be in 1 Peter, uh, verses 13 to 21 this morning. So we'll go ahead and read the passage and pray for our time in the Word. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 21 says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its challenge to our hearts. Um, God is faithful in every passage from every book uh, across the ages of its writing to be a sharp, uh, to be a sword sharper than two sharp edges and piercing uh, between heart and soul. God, it challenges us to follow hard after you, to set our minds on you, to trust in you above all else. And so, God, we pray that as we reflect on this this morning, as we look at this passage, that you would encourage our hearts to be more like yours. Help us to cling to you with all that we have, with all the energy that we have within ourselves. We might run the race you've marked out before us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, favorite coaches you had growing up through history. You got one? Who? Yeah, Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy. Well, coaches that coached you. I mean, I like Mike Gundy too, but favorite coaches that have co- Your dad. Okay, yeah, dad. Look at that. Look at that. Is this Father's Day? No, what are, no. No. Oh <laughs> right, exactly. Are you guys lying in church? Hold on a second. Um, yeah, before we go on, uh, can we just first clap for the moms? Happy Mother's Day, moms. You're awesome. And I don't know where he is, but can we give a hand to Josue? Where is he? Josue hiding? Yeah. Nice painting. Look at this. Right? Okay. That's cool. Um, okay, so favorite coaches that you had growing up in sports or otherwise, anybody have a coach that, memorable coach? Yes. Jason Rutland. College pitching coach. College pitching coach, yeah. Yeah. Any, any particulars stand out? Had a horrible walk to the. <laughs> All right, very good. And any other coaches, memorable coaches you guys had growing up that just, man, this guy is stuck in my head? No one. What? Vince Lombardi. You, you played for Vince Lombardi? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> your coaches. Your coaches. Steve Bridge. Dude. He coached me when I was like 12 to 14, mm-hmm. um, and I think modeled discipline and what authentic masculinity looked like for 12 to 14. Wow, very cool, very cool. 
do you have notes from that season or like anything we can take, uh, you know, just kind of send around to the rest of us so we can make sure we do? Okay. All right. Good. Cool. cool. All right. Good. Good. Um, well, I've got a number of coaches that stick out to me from just sports in general. The first one that came to mind was just kind of you know, the crazy scenario, but his name was Coach Rico. Uh, coach Rico was awesome. He was my sixth grade uh, tackle football coach. And what I remember about Coach Rico, aside from his yelling, um, is, is having practice in the summer in Oklahoma in our practice field, which does not have lights, right? When it has gotten dark in the summer, so it's like 8 o'clock right now, we're continuing practice, and he lined up the coaches' cars next to the field and turned the headlights on for us to continue practice to be done with our conditioning and whatever we had gotten wrong that day or whatever. I remember practicing at night at a not-lighted field uh, from Coach Rico. A um, number of basketball coaches that I had, it was, I actually realized that this was kind of a coaching tree that had happened, uh, a small little coaching tree in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Coach Breedlove, who was my travel basketball coach uh, growing up sixth grade to like eighth grade. Um, and then Coach Porter, who was like, I think he was the son-in-law of Coach Breedlove for a time. Um, who was my coach of basketball in eighth and ninth grade in junior high basketball. Uh, assistant coach, Coach Croft, U.S. history coach, U.S. history teacher and coach, that is, um, who was head coach of the B team. So exciting times, right? Um, awesome coaches. Definitely some stuff to take away. Some of the things that, about, I think the coaches we respect the most are the coaches that we know have been there and done that before. The coaches that, when they tell us to run sprints, they, they're telling us to run sprints because they ran sprints and they finally earned the opportunity to tell you to run sprints, okay? We know they've done this and we know that they're with us. Uh, they also are marked by encouragement, but correction. So both things have to go hand in hand. Um, so we've got some good coaches to learn from and, and there's some things we're gonna be learning about that as we walk through this passage, as we talk about being obedient children, as we talk about revering God, as we talk about the hope that God has given us, uh, we're going to see some things stick out that might remind you of maybe a coach or someone else in your life that, that stuck out to you in leading you. Um, first, Peter started, first Peter, this passage, verse 13, started out this way. It said, therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to see three things, three challenges from Peter about things we need to do. They're imperative statements, statements that he has said, do this. And the passage starts out, therefore, so you got to ask, why is it therefore, right? And we're thinking back to last week and going, last week we saw that God has securely, effectively, and gloriously saved us, right? We, we were lost, completely unable to do anything on our behalf in regards to salvation, and the Lord stepped in and saved us. And so, therefore, in response to the glorious salvation that God has given to us and called us to, these are the things that we ought to do. And the first thing he actually tells us to do is to be full of hope. Not of it, of, of hope. Be full of hope. And he hangs two participles to this. So the, the main statement to us is to be full of hope. Be, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that, that phrase, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, is Peter saying, listen, your, your hope is an eternal one. And it's going to be completely fulfilled at the end. When you die and you're face to face with God and you realize that you have nothing to offer him in regards to your salvation. And you claim the name of Christ. 
Okay? This time, this time of the revelation of Jesus Christ is the time that you're going to fully understand the grace that God has given you. But now, today, set your hope fully on that grace today. And that setting of hope hangs on two actions that he wants us to take up in, uh, in having hope in Jesus. And that's these two things. First, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Uh, the phrase literally, and you might have a, a footnote in your Bible that says this, um, the, the phrase literally is, gird up the loins of your mind. You didn't know your mind had loins, but uh, according to Peter, your mind has loins, and you need to gird the loins of your mind, okay? Um, so wh- where does that phrase come from? The, the most uh, familiar passage from Scripture that might relate to you, uh, relate this to you is the time when Elijah was interacting with Ahab, and he was saying, hey, there's going to be rain, and there hadn't been rain for a long time. And, and he's telling his servant, hey, go look for the clouds, because there's going to be rain coming, and no one's believing him. But finally, he sees a little cloud, and he, he tells Ahab, hey, get your chariot ready and go to Jezreel, because it's about to rain, like seriously rain. And Ahab does obey uh, Elijah and gets his chariot ready and it begins a journey from where he is at near Carmel to Jezreel and he's going in a chariot, right? Horses drawing this chariot, okay? And it says that Elijah girded up his loins, that is he stuffed his garments into his belt and ran and in fact outran the chariots to Jezreel. So he's outrunning horses, which is pretty cool. The Lord was with him and gave him super fast speed uh, like, you know, passing Usain Bolt on the way. So, um, this is the kind of way that we're to treat our minds. We're to gather up all that is in it. Gird up our minds to set the hope of our mind on Christ Jesus. All of our thoughts, all of the fleeting things that are in our head, say, submit them to the revelation of Jesus Christ and the grace that will fully come in that eternal hope. If our hope is on the grace of God in Christ Jesus, we will make a concerted effort to focus our minds to take action with all we've been given. We'll prepare our minds in advance for the actions that we'll need to take. So I'm going to ask this question about planning, because some of you are thinking about, if I'm organizing my mind, I'm not really excited about organizing my mind, because I'm not really an organizing mind kind of person. Uh, So I've got two quotes that I want to put up here. Just tell me which one of these resonates with you the most. We've got the first one. The best things in life are spontaneous because they are sincere. Any, anybody like that phrase? Anybody? Okay, yeah? Yeah. No kidding. You like that phrase? No kidding. That's, that's, you like that too? Okay, good. Very good. Awesome. Uh, or, or the second one. Who likes this phrase? If you, pl- if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Who lives by this <laughs> phrase? Okay. Yep, we got some planners in the house, yep. Uh, I would say that generally our culture like bends toward promoting this in leadership, the if you fail to plan, you plan to fail uh, mindset, uh, which is good. Um, What's that? You live, oh, Mark lives on the dotted lines. He lives right in the dotted. He's a perfect blend. Mark is a perfect blend of these. Yeah, (laughs) all right, very good. Um, So there's a tension to hold for us in our minds uh, between sponta- spontaneity and planning in our lives. There's, there's a place for both, really. And I, I think, you know, sometimes we can hear about 
organizing our mind and, and girding up our mind as a spontaneous person, you're looking at that going like, eh, no thanks, no thanks, I'm just going to let it happen, okay? And as a planner, you're going, okay, yeah, I'm going to set everything in order. I've got every hour is designated for everything that is going to happen, and I can plan out for the next seven days exactly how things are going to go, right? And we can go to both ditches, but the truth is we, have to, we do have to live in the dotted line. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Those who love the spontaneous need to lean into some planning, okay? And those who love the planning need to lean into some spontaneity, okay? Because there's some tension in this. But um, no matter which way you lean personally, Peter's challenge is the same to you, and I think it speaks to either camp, okay? Because it's not about how you're preparing your mind. It's about what you're preparing it for. Prepare your mind for the actions you will take in response to the grace of Jesus, now, you can prepare your mind methodically, okay, like a planner, and be ready to walk through something in a, in a very clear and directed way, okay? There's, like, there's basically a timestamp for how we run a church service, okay? Um, we generally follow it. I know that might seem crazy to all of you, but we do follow a plan time-wise, okay? Uh, Marcus gets here somewhere between 9, 9.30, starts practicing with the band, uh, about... 10.29, he's completed practicing with the band. All of you show up right at 10.30. Right at 10.30, everyone just knocking on the door, walk straight in, okay? Uh, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, approximately 11, we have a, well, 10.55, we have a timer that goes off, right? And at 11, we're trying to start service, okay? We're ordering things in plan. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is also spontane spontaneously working in our midst and challenging not the plan, but the heart, right? Doing something in each of you at different parts of this service that you didn't expect him to maybe do, okay? These things work, uh, work together. And so whether you're methodically planning to the glory of God or where you're spontaneously living to the glory of God, the actions you take, whether spontaneous or methodical, in time will reveal the allegiance of your heart, if you're spontaneous, listen, I know you think things are happening just kind of as they happen, but the fact is the actions you take regardless of your desire for spontaneity are coming from a place within, okay? They're coming from thoughts you have, okay? So those actions that come out of spontaneity, if they truly are sincere, they describe what is actually happening in your mind. So Peter's challenge to you is make sure what's in your mind and your heart is real and focused on the, on the grace of Christ Jesus because you do want your spontaneous actions to be ones that are to the glory of God. And the same for you who plan. If you look at your schedule and think about how you're planning these things, guess what? If you plan for it, it's going to happen because that's the type of person you are. Okay, but you should take stock of what you're planning and say, man, is this to the glory of God? Both things are challenged by this, uh, this, this statement from Peter to prepare your minds for action. However type of person you are, Peter says, get your minds focused on the proper thing. Get your minds focused on the revelation of Jesus Christ at the end, his eternal hope that he has given to you. So this is the first way we set our hope on Christ. We prepare our minds. We gird them up for the Lord. Second, he says, and being sober-minded. Sober-minded. 
the second half of, uh, the middle there of 13, he says, um, when we think of being sober, mind, or be, of being sober, uh, typically we think of being sober as not being controlled by a substance, that, and that's usually what's in view, okay? Usually, when we think of being sober-minded, we're thinking about uh, drugs or alcohol, and we're saying, hey, listen, you need, to n- you need to be sober in your mind, so you need to refrain from these inputs, and uh, that's certainly something that is in view. So before I elaborate on the fact that there's more to it than just that, I do want to say um, this before I elaborate. It's important to note that we, that we should pursue sobriety against substances, and this is why. Substance addiction gives us an unnatural pleasure in our flesh to the degree that our soul is restricted from growing through the trials of life. When we're addicted to a substance, we are pacifying the flesh so much with a a pleasure we receive from substance that our soul cannot deal with what life is actually giving us. And our soul needs to deal with the trials and tribulations of our life. Just as we heard last week, Peter is saying, listen, I know you're going through trials, right? He's written this letter to the people in Turkey who are under persecution for their faith. He's saying, I know you're going through trials, but be sober-minded. Don't try to escape this reality. Press into this reality that your Christ suffered in the same way and that he bore it up on your behalf. So we do need to acknowledge that the desire to be sober is a desire to really deal with the circumstances that life has given us and take them into submission to the cross of Jesus and find our true hope in Jesus rather than in, su- in a substance. And the truth is, and we can, we can uh, take, this, uh, take this to the bank of our soul, Jesus has provided a secure, effective, and glorious hope in the gospel that can walk your soul through every trial that you will face in life. It is very difficult, I will acknowledge, to believe that especially when you're under the influence of some sort of uh, drug or substance. But it is nonetheless true. Christ is secure, effective, and glorious in the hope he gives us. But we have to acknowledge this. Being sober-minded is not just about substances. I like this quote from the commentary that I'm reading through on 1 Peter. It says this. I've got it up here, I think. Yeah. There's a way of living that becomes dull to the reality of God, that is anesthetized by the attractions of this world. When people are lulled into such drowsiness that they lose sight of Christ's future revelation of himself and concentrate only on fulfilling their earthly desires. This isn't just speaking about substances. This is speaking about all of your life. The fact is we can give such allegiance to success in the world that we're almost drunk as it was related to following the gospel. We can't even see what God is doing because we're so caught up in what the world is giving us and showing us. So we can be almost drunk on the success of life and misplace our hope rather than on Jesus on success in our jobs, on success in even our hobbies, right? Everyone trying to get that handicap down in golf, right? Trying to get that thing lower. I haven't played golf in like 12 years. I don't know. 
but this is something people give their lives to. Their whole Saturday is devoted to shaving off a, a stroke on their handicap. We can devote our success to our weekends, right? Working through the week, man, hey, every day on the coffee shop, man, it's almost, it's Wednesday. Okay, just got a couple more days to go till the weekend. Man, then the weekend we'll be able to have a really good time, right? Because this work, we just got to trudge through so we can get to the weekend because the weekend is what life is about, right? Two days out of seven multiplied by all the weeks in your life, your life is about 20% of your existence. Okay. I want more, right? We can get concentrated and put our hope on the weekends. We can put our hope in our children, right? We've messed up, so we have kids, and we're like, well, they won't mess up because I'm going to show them all the good things, and then they won't mess up. And they're good at copying us. Um, we, we look at success in our marriage, and we say, well, a, a good life is going to be a success, successful marriage, and that's what we place our hope in. Or we even do this as a church. We look at our church and go, my hope is on the success of this church. Right? I've put my hope in the success of a church. I don't know if you guys have. I don't know if you ever struggled with that. thought, well, we're this great group of people, and we're taking the message to the world, and all these people don't know what they're missing. And listen, there's some truth to that for sure. And I want the gospel to go out. I want our church to be successful and I want it to grow and I want people to know the name of Jesus because of that. But we can trick ourselves into finding our hope in the success of a church rather than the success of the kingdom of God. We can get drunk on these kind of successes and I think that's what it's talking about. It says be sober-minded. Get your mind focused on the hope that you have in eternity, not on anything else that can provide you some sort of baby hope in this life. It reminds me of a verse from 1 John 2, verse 15 to 17. It says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Peter is challenging us, first of all, in response to the salvation we've received in Christ Jesus, to be full of hope. And it's a hard thing to comprehend what it is to hope and be full of hope. So he explains it to us just very quickly. Gird up your mind. Take all the baggage of it, all, all the pieces of your robe that are in your mind and stuff them in a belt. There's the belt of truth, right? Of Christ Jesus. That His eternal hope is the thing that guides your thoughts and your minds. And be sober-minded. Don't place your hope in something small that will not satisfy. Rather, place your hope in a hope that is secure and effective and glorious, the hope of the gospel. So first he says to us, be full of hope. Second he challenges this, uh, to be holy. To be holy. In light of the salvation you've received in Christ Jesus, this secure, glorious salvation we've received in Christ, do this. Verse 14, 
as obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As obedient children, stop sinning, is what he's saying, right? As an obedient child, quit sinning. Run from your former ignorance and and refrain from sin. Um, Obedient children, right, have no reason to not trust the words of their parents. And this may be surprising to you, but I think the majority of children are obedient. I think the majority of children are obedient. Are they sinners? Yeah, I mean, they're sinners. They got the things, you know. But they're obedient. They perfectly copy the actions of their parents. Right? They're obedient children. It just happens to be they got a couple parents that don't know anything about anything. <laughs> they're just trying to swim along in this world with not a clue. They're obedient. Our children mimic and mock and follow and repeat exactly the things we say. Sometimes exactly the things we say. Exactly the things we say. Exactly the things we say. Oh my gosh. Echo chamber. It's sometimes uncanny how that continues throughout our lives. I don't know if any parents of kids have figured that out, but somehow through our lives we pattern ourselves off the tendencies of our parents. And you grow up and you're here, you're looking back at your life going, I am my father. Or I am my mother. You just see it. It's like, oh, I hated that. And now it's me. Peter calls us to be obedient children to our Father in heaven because our Father in heaven is holy. He is trustworthy. He is perfect. If you're going to pattern your life off of someone, if you're going to trust somebody in this life, okay, yeah, honor your father and mother. But follow your father in heaven. He is holy and he's called you to holiness. Be obedient to him as he calls us to do things in life. Be obedient to his instructions on how we should care for those around us. Be obedient to his instructions on how we care for ourselves. In all your conduct, he says, be holy, for I am holy. It reminds us of uh, the passages in Leviticus where he's describing what it is to be pure before God in worship. And he's calling on the nation of Israel to be set apart and pure so that they can worship in the presence of God. Not by the blood of Jesus, but by the blood of these sacrifices that in purity... Okay, not in salvation, not for moral, you know, moral uh, salvation, but in purity, act like this. Be holy and set apart like this. Because your God is holy, mimic his holiness. And this is what it looks like. So in Leviticus 18, 2-4, he says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord, your God. And in verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 26, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am a holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. You should be holy because God is holy, and he's calling you to be different than the cultures that are around you, to follow him and his instruction for your life, 
Because he, after all, is your creator. He formed you in your mother's womb. He created you and made you and said, my instructions for you are good. How often has anybody said that to their kids? Anybody ever said that? My instructions are for your good. My instructions are for your good. That's a repeated refrain in my house, right? I'm telling this instruction to you for your good. You don't believe me right now. I can tell by your screaming. But these instructions are for your good. It's directed at Roy. Let's just be real clear. Um, God has called us to holiness. Uh, Luke, Marcus, and I are reading through a book about doctrine from Paul Tripp. And I can see your glazed eyes as <laughs> announced that. But it's actually very exciting. We're enjoying this, uh, this journey through uh, Do You Believe by Paul Tripp. Anyway, his chapter on holiness is really good. And he's reflecting on how the holiness of God is the reason why we will never outgrow the grace of our God. As we grow as followers, become more deeply aware of the depth of our sin every single day. And that's why the Apostle Paul can say something like this in 1 Timothy 1, verses 15 to 16. This saying is trustworthy, as if everything he said wasn't trustworthy. I mean, he's, okay, he's Paul. But he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul, the one who for decades has gone about the Mediterranean preaching the gospel and been enchained for his allegiance to Jesus. This one, he's testifying to us in instruction to Timothy as a minister, I am the foremost sinner. Not I was the foremost sinner, I am the foremost sinner. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying he is still the foremost sinner. After decades of faithful ministry and imprisonment for the cause of Christ, let that sit with you. He says, I am the foremost of sinners. As he's grown in the knowledge of the Holy One, he's grown in the knowledge of his sinful state. And that isn't discouraging to them, him. Actually, it is amazing to him because he's saying, man, Lord, you saw me when I was just concerned about the surface level stuff and you saved me. And now I'm getting down to the deep stuff in my heart and you still want me and you still care for me and you still reach out to me and, and press into my soul. So as we pursue holiness, to be holy as God is holy, we become more aware of the perfect patience, as Paul puts it, of Jesus, even to the foremost of sinner, sinners, which in truth is not just Paul, but is all of us. So you might ask, how, how do we figure out what holiness is? And I, I'm sorry I don't have a concise answer for you, but it's basically this. Holiness is defined by the character displayed of God throughout the pages of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation. If you want to know the holiness of God, then I'm going to give you a very basic instruction. Read the Bible. And when you're done reading it, read it again. And then read it again. And then Read it again, <laughs> like, read it all the days of your life, and you will know the holiness of God. You will know it through his law. You will know it through his actions. Ultimately, you will know it through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. You will see the holiness of God if you read the Bible. Peter calls us to pursue holiness, the holiness of our Father in heaven, 
to be holy as he is holy. Finally, in light of the salvation God has given us in Christ Jesus, Peter challenges us to revere the Lord. 1 Peter 1, 17-21 And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, he's kind of leaving that question out to the group, right? Saying, if you if you're calling on the Father in heaven, I think you are, but make sure that question sits in your heart. Are you calling on the Father in heaven? If you call on the Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing this, that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has been made manifest in last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your hope and faith are in God. The challenge from Peter to us in this is that we revere the Lord in all the conduct of our lives. We're to hope completely in Christ Jesus and prepare our minds for action, be sober-minded as we hope in Christ Jesus. We're to be holy as the Lord God is holy. And as we do this, as we pursue this, as we walk on, on through following Him in this, we are to have reverence for the Lord in this pursuit. This is kind of what made me think of coaches, in a way. Because you look at these coaches in your life and you go, yeah, I'll run laps for you. I mean, I will. Like, you're good at basketball. Like, I've seen you display it on the court. Like, you can school us little kids on this court, and like, we're way faster than you. But somehow, you're quicker because you practice. You've been through this. You know how to play basketball, and you can tell us how to play basketball. And so I think of these coaches who took, first of all, right, like took time out of their day to volunteer toward this, right? I got to go see some, going to brag on Luke, sorry. Got to go see some baseball this week. Isaiah played a championship game. It was great. Got to watch some baseball this week, which is awesome. I mean, Luke and other coaches and any coaches you've ever had most likely volunteered their time. Because they care about kids, and they want to see kids develop and grow as humans, right? As men and women who know how to work together as a team. And so I'm glad that, you know, even though I hated my coach for making me run suicides or whatever, it's like, are you kidding me? We just missed one free throw! Good grief! <sighs> um, I respected him, because I knew he'd been through it. He wasn't just like, unaware of what he was putting us through. He knew exactly what he was putting us through because he'd been through it. So I thought of coaches, but when I thought about it more, I thought, you know, it's like, it's heavier than that even. It's like a general, you know? Like if you're in the army and you're going to war and you're about to go give your life on the battlefield and, and the general just happened to be the one who, through obedience, through hard work and effort, through tenacity, through unfortunate circumstances of time, 
has been through war, has seen people die on battlefields, has sent people to die on battlefields, and is instructing you to whatever it is, right? I don't know, name, name the things, right? Like all the things, guys, so many. And why are you willing to trust that man? Because he too has put his life on the line for a cause bigger than himself. And so, up from coaches, up from generals, you look at the nature of God. Why do we respect these individuals so much? Because the truth is, they're reflecting a nature that is in the Imago Dei. It is God's nature being demonstrated through these people that are speaking into your life and trying to lead you on to something greater than your lazy bum can do right now. Right? I mean, it's just true. Right? Some personal trainer coming in your life, right? You know, a personal trainer, you got to whip some people in shape, get them out of where they're at so they can be where they want to be, right? Like, we have to have those people come speak into our life and move us forward. And God says, if you call on me, who judges impartially, he's not holding favorites, according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear through your time of exile. Have reverence for this God. It can be very easy to be like, Daddy God, you know, we have this kind of mindset toward Dad's just... Uh, a calm, caring figure up there. He's just a nice grandpa kind of God, you know, going to give you all the things you need. There's some aspect to that, I'm sure. But there's also the holiness aspect, the aspect of, uh, of a person that wants better for you than where you're stuck, the aspect of someone that would say to you, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober-minded, set your hope on something that is eternal, and why can I say this so boldly to you? Because, God, being God, that is, know that I'm the one that has ransomed you from your futile ways. I'm the one that sent my son to die on a cross for you, that by his blood you would be saved. Why do we conduct ourselves with fear and reverence for this God? Because we have an eternal debt to him that we know we can't pay. We know our sin has separated us from our Lord, and we know that we can't do any works to achieve it. And so we look at God who, in His mercy, poured out His Son on a cross for us. And man, we got to walk in reverence and say, thank you, God. Thank you. I, I know, I know I'm going to mess up. I know I haven't arrived. I know I'm not there. But thank you for your perfect patience, that though I be the foremost of sinners, you still pour out your love and mercy on me. So knowing that you were ransomed from futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. There's so much competing for our allegiance and so much that looks innocent 
competing for our allegiance. But Peter says to us, be sober-minded. Don't let your heart set its hope on something in this earth. Rather, let your heart set its hope on something that is eternal, on someone who has saved you. So go with this. In response to the salvation that God has purchased on your behalf by the blood of Jesus, be full of hope. Be full of hope. His grace will come to its fullness at the revelation of Christ. And yes, you may face trials. And yes, you may face circumstances. But be full of hope. God has accomplished his salvation for you. Therefore, be full of hope. Be holy. Not because it's going to earn you anything. Not because it's going to get you into heaven if you're holy. But rather, because your Father in heaven is holy. And he, he desires his children to mimic him. Not just to, uh, to lord it over them in some way. But rather that they would be like him. Have fulfillment and joy and love like him. Be holy like him so that all these things can flow unto you. That you too can be a person that would sacrifice your life for your wife. That you would sacrifice your life for your children. That you would sacrifice your life for your co-workers or your friends or anybody. Because God is a God who sacrificed his son for his enemies. While we were still sinners and enemies of God, he sent his son to die for us. And so the beautiful thing that happens when you become holy like God is that you look around with the mercy of God and see how unholy you are and then spend this beautiful life God has given us on sharing this beautiful love God has given us with those around us. Be holy as I am holy because my holiness is glorious. It invites those who are broken and lost into the umbrella and shadow of the wings of the Almighty. So be holy as God is holy. And revere the Lord. And like Paul recognized, he is the foremost of sinners. Let's humbly walk in this life in reverence to God Almighty, saying, wherever you say, I will go. I will revere you. I will not think that I've arrived. I will not think that I'm finished. I will not think that I'm finished until I complete my walk in this life, until my last breath is taken. And in that moment, I pray, Lord, that you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Walk in this life with reverence for the Lord and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your scripture and for its challenge to our hearts. We're thankful for the hope you give us in the gospel. We're thankful uh, for the holiness you're portrayed throughout Scripture. We're thankful for um, the gift of your Son that you've given on a cross. Well, that would walk away from the futile teaching and instruction of this world, whether it come from our parents or come from coaches or come from teachers or 
come from ourselves, God. We, we walk away from the futile ways of this world. And we want to conduct ourselves in fear and reverence before our God Almighty. Our desire is to be like you, O oh God. Our desire is to follow you, Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, you'd, you'd give us um, the ability this week to gird up the loins of our mind, to look at our week ahead and say it's yours. Whether spontaneous or planned, God, it's yours. Please have it. And help us, God, be sober-minded. Help us um, remove all those things that are clouding our decisions about what you should do. Help us take away the allegiances to this life and its successes and rather concentrate our mind and our effort on your glory and your fame. Thank you for what you've done, God. It is joyous. May we rejoice in it all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.